0: Well, as we go into this, um, I wanted to tell you uh, just a little plan I have, and uh, this will help us, I think, to prepare for this series. I, I think so. But it also helped me to flesh out this plan that I have a little bit. So, my kids and, and I'm sure those of you uh, with kids that, that that have begun to make their Christmas wish lists, and my daughters have started to build out theirs as well. And uh, you can probably deduce, knowing my kids, and I won't name names, you can probably deduce which one is which one based on how I talk about how they make their list. But one of them came up and said, now, what is the budget for Christmas? And this particular one is very organized and detailed and she wanted to have, make sure that she got the most bang for her buck and she wanted, and she's also very frugal. So, you know, she, I don't, I think she wanted to, you know, maybe she could find some things on sale for us and and this is just who she is. And so I appreciate that about her and she's very detailed and frugal and wanted to create her list very specifically and she sat down and she was, you know, really thinking about those things. And I went shopping with her the other night and I said, do you want to add that to your list? And she said, I don't know no, Dad, I, I, I got to think about it a little bit. And this is kind of how she, she rolls. And the other one is not quite that way. The other one has no limit. Um, the, her list continues to be added to, and I don't see it stopping at any point. Uh, it is just going to continue to be added on to and added on to and added on to. I mean, it includes things like toys and all kinds of things like that, but it also includes fish and gerbils and puppies um, if you've been to our house, you know we don't really have a whole lot of animals in our house, but apparently we're going to have a zoo at some point soon because uh, she could just keep adding things over and over and over again. Now, the thing about them that I find fascinating is, and this is probably true for most kids, what they want is they want tangible stuff, right they they want things they can play with, they want things they can apparently cuddle, they want things you know that they can watch swim they they want things that they can have and and there's a big part of that, right? I mean you make a Christmas wish list and I was just thinking about that, this is kind of the downside of like, it seems like the, the go-to places to make an Amazon, you know, wish list, right? The problem with an Amazon wish list is it's, it's stuff. You, you can't really sign up on an Amazon wish list for experience, you can't really sign up on an Amazon wish list uh, for, for things maybe that, that, that maybe they really need, and they will get things they need. You know, we'll get them some clothes. Uh, we will get them some experiences because those things do matter. I think it's good to buy them some experiences but uh, you, you, you really, when you get into it, it, it's really about stuff. And this brings me to my Christmas wish list. Because my Christmas wish list really isn't about stuff. I, I've gotten to the age where um, even uh, uh, like last week we were hanging out with Jill's parents and her sister-in-law was, or my sister-in-law was there and she said, what do you want for Christmas? You know, what's on your wish list? And I said, "Jody, there's Nothing. I am 45 years old. I can buy whatever I want. I don't really want to put something on a wish list of something I want for you to buy it for me. I can just, you know what you can give me is some cold, hard cash. That, that there's nothing better than an envelope with some money. But you know, even that's a troubling thing because then I got to go to the bank and I got to deposit it. And then you give me a gift card and then I'm stuck going to the restaurant that you want to go to. You know, I just... Here's the just say merry christmas that's enough for me right but there is one thing that i really really want and it has to do with my girls because they have stuff and they want more stuff and frankly they have more than enough stuff and the more than enough stuff has started to explode out of the cabinets in the basement it has exploded in their rooms and there's just sort of stuff everywhere. Now, if you remember the dark days of the terrible pandemic, you remember I used to stand in front of those cabinets and I used to stand there and you know make the video and, and set all that up. And I, I'm sorry to bring all that back, but just for a minute, I want you to remember those days. And I just want you to know that my butt was firmly up against those cabinets because if it was not, they would just open. And everything, and that's what we did. When we tore down, I would move the camera, I would move all the expensive stuff, I would open the doors, I would run for my life. And man, it was like an avalanche of Barbie it was all these toy, And it just, I don't know how it happens. You leave, you come back. They, they multiply. I don't know what's going on in that Barbie world, but there's more. I'm like, where did we get all these? How did this happen? So I go down there. And the biggest problem I have is I can't get to my office because my office is right around the corner of the basement. So I come down and there's, a, there's one thing that we ask. And I'm sure you have this with your kids or you had this with your kids or you, your parents had this when you were a kid. There was that one thing. You can have the biggest mess right here. You can have this space, you can do your thing. I just need a path. I wanna be able to get to the office without being accosted by a Barbie shoe. I don't wanna have Legos stuck to me on the way back. I wanna be able to get my laundry without tripping over toys. I just want a clean path. And when I walk in your rooms, I wanna walk in without danger of destroying your toys. Cause then they get upset. Then they cry. And I say, well, you had it there under the dirty underwear. What did you expect me to do? I couldn't walk. But dad, you ruined it. No, no, you put it there. See, and then the whole thing, right? Then I got to replace it. It's just a big, it's just a big mess. So anyways, so here, here is my, here's my wish. My wish this year is that they would keep their rooms clean. And my wish this year is that they would give me clean path an unobstructed path to my office that is all i want so when you see them would you just tell them your dad for this christmas guys all he wants is your room's clean and a hallway clean now now the deal is don't don't assume that we have a junked up house you know my wife would be very upset if you know you assume that we had junk everywhere We just don't want to be doing all the cleaning. See, what I'd like is for them to take the initiative and do this themselves. But somehow in our raising of our children, they have, I don't know, for whatever reason, taken on the personalities of, well, mommy and daddy should clean the rooms. We'll just sit here and play video games while you do it. Now, that is unacceptable. That is just not going to happen. You are going to pick this thing up, right? So I have a plan. And I'm so glad that my mother is in here because the plan involves my mom. Now if you know my, and she doesn't know any of this by the way, if you know my mom, you know that she is organized, you know she is detailed, you know that she actually enjoys picking stuff up. I mean I told her she should start one of those like uh, cleanup, you know, like uh, you know where she comes in, she does the organizing, she gets their closets together, you know, tells them, the, you know, does this still bring you joy, throw it away kind of thing, right? That kind of deal. My mom if people weren't involved in it, she'd be great at it. If it was just the house, she'd be fine. See, then you got to put people in it and that whole thing. I don't know. The people might be the problem. But, and that's not to say my mom isn't a lovely person. She just can't stand the people. She can't stand the messes because she'd be hard judging. She'd be walking in and being like, what did you do in here? How long has it been since you've cleaned? And then she'd lose the job. See, the whole thing it would just be a mess. But anyways, I am going to use that to my advantage, though. And I'm going to invite my mother to come over. She's going to show up, and we're going to sit the girls down. And we're going to look at the girls, and we're going to say this. Girls, and I quote, girls, grandma is here, and grandma is here to help. Now, you know, grandma lives like, you know, a bike ride away from our house, so she's close. Grandma is here, and she's going to do, for a one-time only, we are going to help you to pick up your rooms and organize them. We are going to pick up the basement, and we are going to organize it. And then, here's what we're going to do. One day before Christmas... Grandma is going to come back uninvited, unexpected. She's going to walk in, and she's going to do an inspection. And we're going to give a little bit of an initiative to this. Some of you may call this a bribe. We're going to take one of those wish lists, and we're going to go down the wish list, and we're going to find a place, and we're going to check a box. We're going to say, you get to pick one present on this list. And if you can keep your rooms and the basement together, together, both of you together, keep the path clean You will get one of your gifts early. You will get one of your gifts before Christmas. Now see, I can't involve Santa Claus because the problem with Santa Claus is his schedule is too certain. They know when Santa Claus comes. It's when you go to bed on Christmas Eve. So that's not gonna work, right? Because I want them to not know when it's happening. This is an unexpected, uh, anticipated inspection. That grandma is just going to walk in the house and say, let's see it. And it could be any day this month. What do you guys think? I think it's pretty solid. Isn't it solid? I should write a book about this. this is, I mean, this might. I actually didn't, didn't make this up. I just want to be honest with you. I found this from somebody else, and I, I adapted this. But I—I I think, I think it may work. Mom, what do you think? See, this is why I need a gift card so I can take her to dinner and I can get her in on the plan. So maybe I do need the gift card or the cash, see? But anyways, I don't know if we're really going to put this plan into place. I think Jill is a little uncertain about it. I like the idea, but we'll have to see. And I don't know if I can convince my mom to participate in this. But here's why I wanted to tell you this. Because if you could put your, your, your put yourself in the shoes of a kid for just a moment, if you can think back to when you were... A teenager <laughs> with a messy room. If you can put yourself back into the mind of a child with a closet full of toys where you know the toys don't belong in the closet, they belong on the floor, so you can find them, right? You know now what that anticipation would be like, not knowing when grandma might show up. It would be it'd be so hard. Because it's almost impossible for them to keep the room clean. It, it doesn't happen. I don't, know, I don't know what takes place. You know, it gets clean and it's just gone, right? That's just kids. Kids are just like this. But, but I want you for a moment to think about, can you remember that feeling? Can, can you remember anticipating being unsure? Now, and then add to that this aspect of, I don't know when grandma's going to show up. I, I don't know when it might happen. And you can sort of in this moment now, I think, start to feel this sense of anticipation. You can start feeling this, this idea of what it feels like to have this sort of expectation uh, of, of waiting, of not knowing, of just, just that, that kind of just, that tension. Does that make sense? There's a, there's a tension in that. And that's the kind of mindset that I want us to have as we go into this Advent. It's the mind that I want us to have, this this idea of this this tension of expectation that I want us to have in the season. Because in our culture, it is so easy to get away from this. It's so easy to miss this kind of mindset. But that's the feeling that we should have in this time of year. I put it into just sort of a statement that can maybe help us remember a little bit. Uh, But I wrote it down this way, that a meaningful celebration of Christmas is equal parts preparation and expectation. So a meaningful celebration of Christmas is equal parts preparation and expectation. And so our subtitle for the series is that we are preparing our hearts for Christmas. And, and I think we do that. I mean, I think when we when we put up, when we sing Christmas songs, when we put up our Christmas trees, when we put up our lights, when we start to think about these things, we're preparing But what we don't want to do is we don't want to lose the expectation of Christmas. Because then what I think we do is we miss a huge aspect of the story. And I think it is in that preparation and going into that expectation. And I think it's in that expectation as we enter that part of the story that we really start to learn what Christmas is all about. And I think as we come back to this season every year, I think that's what we want. I don't want to just go through the motions. I love Christmas. I don't want to just go through the motions of it. I want to learn something new. I want to, I want to be changed as a result of the season. As a follower of Jesus, I want the celebration of the birth of my Messiah and my Savior to have a meaning. And so sometimes as we come into it, I think we have to realize that it's not just in the celebration. It's not just in the preparation of it, but it's in the expectation. It's so hard because we know. Just like I talked about that the girls know when Santa Claus is coming, they know when the birth of Jesus is happening. They know that we're coming to the moment where we're going, happy birthday! Like, we know we're getting there, right? The kids in the kids' ministry, like, it's a countdown. Like, they literally have a countdown in the kids' ministry to the birth of Jesus. But the reality is, just like we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, the birth of Jesus is the same way. These two seasons, there are these, these, not really two seasons, this part of the year that takes us from the birth of Jesus to the resurrection of Jesus, the whole idea is anticipation. The whole idea is expectation. The whole idea is not the people not knowing when these moments were going to take place. We talk about this all the time at Easter. Nobody was standing outside of the tomb counting down to the resurrection of Jesus. There wasn't like a clock that was going 10, nine, You know, they're standing out there like waiting. They weren't doing that. Nobody was standing in a manger waiting and saying, the Messiah is coming. This is when it's coming. Here's a clock telling us when he's going to show up. It was unexpected, but it was expected. There was an expectation for it, but how it came about came about in unexpected ways. But people in those moments were just sitting with anticipation. When is the Messiah going to be here? When is this going to take place? When is our Savior going to come? So what we do as we enter this season is we come to this place of expectation. We find this in the word Advent. It's a Latin word. It comes from the Latin Adventus which just means coming or visiting. And I, I like that second part, visiting. If you know you're waiting for somebody to come and visit, you're just waiting. Maybe it's your in-laws that you're waiting and you're like, ah, they're gonna be here any moment. You're not sure how you're gonna make it. Maybe you have other people coming over and you're like, oh, I just can't wait. You're just waiting, you're waiting. And By the way, I don't feel like that about my in-laws, just to be clear. Maybe you do, I don't. But you're sitting there just waiting and waiting, right? Do you know that anticipation? And that's what this is. Advent is entering the story of the Hebrew Scriptures, looking to the expectation of when the Messiah would come. Nobody knew the day. Nobody knew the hour. What they knew was a longing, a longing, a hopefulness in the promises of God. And this is what we have to enter. We have to come into this season. Not knowing the day, not knowing the, just like just like my mom. They don't know the day. They don't know the hour. That's how the people felt. They didn't know the day. They didn't know the hour when the Messiah would come. But they had hope. They had an anticipation. They had the promises of God that they knew would be fulfilled but they didn't know when it would happen. And I think this is what's really crazy. They didn't know when it would happen. Would it happen in their lifetime? Would it happen in their kid's lifetime? Would it it happen five, six, seven generations from now? They didn't know, but they had hope, and so they waited. Now, another part of this Season that we're entering, so we, we enter this time of expectations, we enter this time of waiting, we enter this time of story, and we also, at Christmas, enter this time of traditions. It, it's such a fascinating time. You probably have some of your own traditions. Um, you know, you probably have some songs that at Christmas, you're like, I want those songs sung. Uh, one of my friends this morning said to me that uh, last year we did a Christmas Eve service at my house, and it has already become a special tradition And I think he's right about that. There's something special about that. And so we create these traditions. But there's a tradition that we're going to lean into over these next few months. We're actually going to lean into them all the way until Easter. And it's called the lectionary. The lectionary is a set of readings that run on a three-year cycle. And so churches all around the world, this crosses borders, it crosses ideological lines. All these churches uh, around the country and around the world are reading the same passages together. So those that are following the lectionary. So this year, we're going to follow the lectionary along with all of these churches all around the world and read from these same passages. And they cause us to dig into some things that we normally wouldn't dig into. Like this week, you're going to notice some of the passages that we read. You say, well, that doesn't feel like a Christmas story. Well, when you look at Advent, the story of Christmas really begins on Christmas. The 12 days of Christmas isn't just a song. It's actual 12 days that go after Christmas. That's when the celebration begins. And Advent is the leading up to it. So the lectionary, what's cool about this is it actually makes us pause. It makes us actually like reverse the truck a little bit and go back and say, okay, wait, 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 wait. How do we get there? This helps us to enter the story of expectation. One of those readings, and again, it might seem odd this time of year, is from the book of Isaiah. And so I want to read this this morning, and then we'll see where this takes us. It says this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you for when you did awesome things that we did not expect you came down and the mountains trembled before you since ancient times no one has heard no ear has perceived no eye has seen any god besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him you probably heard that that last verse there No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no eye has perceived. then I love this. A God who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Now, the author here is pointing to a story. It had been told for generations about the Israelite people and the way that God had answered their prayer when they were enslaved in Israel. For generations, they had waited for the promise of rescue. For generations, they didn't know the day, they didn't know the hour, they didn't know when it would come, but they had a hope that their God would rescue them. And you know the story, you know that he did. You know that Moses goes into the promised land, he confronts Pharaoh, Pharaoh eventually releases the people after the plagues and after the the reality of the awesomeness of God present in in these moments. The people are going to the promised land and they go to Mount Sinai. And as they're beside Mount Sinai, as they're experiencing uh, this, this, uh, just this reality of being saved, of having waited in the promises of God and then having experienced them, God comes down. God shows up in those moments. The story tells us that at Mount Sinai, then God showed up in fire. God showed up in earthquake. And so this writer of this passage is saying, do you remember this? Do you remember this story? Because remember, again, the Hebrew people, the Israeli people, for them entering the story mattered. They were a people of story and they were a people of the promises of God told through these stories. And so they remembered. And he says, do you remember the promises of God? Do you remember this moment? Do you remember how God showed up? He says, oh God, that you would do it again. I love that. Oh God, that you would do it again again. Sometimes for us, I think we enter moments of life, we know that God has been faithful, but I think we have a really hard time praying that. God, would you do it again? Like what would change in our lives if we believed in the promises of God? We saw the way he was faithful in our lives, and we had the boldness to say, God, do it again. And that's what he's calling out to here. God, do it again. But I love this. Let's go back to verse four. Since ancient times, no one has heard. No ear has perceived. No eye has seen any God beside you. And I know sometimes we read this and we think of Isaiah and we sort of hear the voice of Isaiah in some boring uh, tone that maybe our Bible app would read to us and there's like some music behind it or whatever. I think Isaiah's preaching I think he's getting kind of stoked here. And he's like, look, no one, man, no one has heard. No ears perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you. Maybe he's going to break out into song. I don't know what's going to happen. But I think he's in the middle of worship here. And then he says, and who is that God? He's the God who acts on behalf of those who wait. So Isaiah does something so cool here. He encourages their people to remember how their ancestors waited in expectation. He says, do you remember the way that God came down? Do you remember the way that he rescued his people from slavery? Do you remember how they met him at Mount Sinai, how he, how he broke open the heavens? He came down and there was fire and there was earthquake and God was present. Do you remember that? He said, now I want you to wait in expectation for that. I want you to wait for the moment that he comes down so he invites them into that place into that moment into that mindset again and this expectation then became hope and so the story continues the story builds the story goes on and that expectation that God would again come among his people that God would again come down from heaven that God would come down on the mountains that God would be with his people becomes a hope It becomes another expectation, and it becomes the promise of the Messiah, the Messiah that God would dwell among his people, that God would rescue his people, that God would be present among his people. And so the people are in a season of waiting again. Isaiah looks around, and he said, this world is a mess. We are a mess. We are in need of a savior. So he invites them. He says, would you join with me? Would you be the people of waiting? Would you be the people of expectation? And would you look ahead, maybe in your lifetime or the lifetime of your children or a lifetime from six generations from now, may we be people who faithfully wait? And then what we see in this season, we know where this goes. As we look to the nativity or the birth of Jesus, we see the promise of God with us fulfilled. But then we know that that fulfillment, as I talked about, had an unexpected twist. We saw that the, the unbelievable idea of, of a throne that was made of gold or silver that would, that would be the throne of this Messiah, instead became a throne of wood and straw. As we look in the story, as we participate in it, as we imagine the moment that Mary placed Jesus in a manger. And this in that moment, in that unexpected twist, the way that people didn't expect, God with us was fulfilled. As the early followers of Jesus tried to understand this unexpected twist, they went back to the book of Isaiah. They went back to this prophet who had been preaching to them. And they saw this passage. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him... Emmanuel. And we we see that in the story. We see that as Matthew is writing this. He says, "All all this was done to fulfill what the prophet had said, that you would call him Emmanuel, God with us. So the arrival of the Messiah then defies expectation. They waited and waited and waited. God shows up in the most unexpected way, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus who had come to save them. And then the story continues. It keeps getting more unexpected. And you would think as the people looked that they would say, well, okay, so, so the Messiah didn't come the way that we thought the Messiah would come. The Messiah was placed in a manger. They look back, they say, well, it fulfills this, and it seems to make sense now, and the story continues on. The people begin to follow Jesus. He does a lot of unexpected things. He doesn't raise an army like they thought he would do. He, he's a healer. He's a person of peace. He begins to teach some really strange, unexpected ways of living out his kingdom. But they, but they go along with it for a while. And the unexpected happens. He's arrested. He's convicted. He's placed on a cross. Absolutely unexpected. He dies and they don't know what to do about this. Three days later, the most unexpected thing happens and he's resurrected. They see him, they talk to him, they can't believe what's taking place. They think this is the moment now, this is what we've been waiting for. Now he's gonna establish his kingdom. He says, oh no, 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 Peace out. (laughs) I'm out for a while. And uh, I want you to live the life that I've taught you in this world. I want you to be the people. I want you as the church. I want you as followers to be the people who bring love and grace and peace and mercy into this world. And then he said, and I will be alive in you through the Holy Spirit. Unexpected. Not what they thought. And all of this ties back to this idea. Expectation, waiting, seeing these twists. Their people had waited for rescue. They had waited for Messiah. And then we see, (laughs) before Jesus went to heaven, before before his resurrection, he was with his disciples, and he said, Look, I I want you guys to know, you are going to be people of waiting. You know, they're sitting back, and they're going, No, you're here. You're going to establish your kingdom. They don't know that his death is going to happen. They don't know his resurrection is going to take place. They don't know the ascension is going to take place, and he's going to go back to heaven. They, They don't know what's happening. But Jesus enters this moment, and I love what happens here because now that we've looked back at the story, we can see what's taking place. That Jesus, just like the way that Isaiah invited the people into a place of expectation, Jesus is going to do the same thing. He's going to look at his followers. He's going to look at us. He's going to say, listen, I want you, I am inviting you to be people of expectation. I want you to be people who wait on the promises of God. And so in Matthew or in Mark 13, Jesus does this. It's another one of our lectionary readings today, so then you'll see the connection here. Jesus says this to his disciples. He said, "But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the skies, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken." At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. I love how Jesus teaches. He said, you guys know what that feels like. He said, you know what it's like to wake up and look at a tree and be like, that tree looks like it's blooming. And then by the end of the day, you come back to the house, and it's just completely, it's just completely full. He said, and that, that way you know that spring, you know that summer has arrived. And that's what he says to his disciples. He said, you know that feeling. You, you know that feeling of knowing that something's about to take place. He says, I want you to know. I want you to sit in that place. Something is about to happen. He says, even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the sun, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. You do not know when that time will come. So, Just like how Isaiah pointed to the reality of expectation that became a hope for the Messiah, so Jesus told his followers, enter a time of expectation of his return. And once again, just like the ancient stories of hope, they wouldn't know the day and they wouldn't know the hour. He told them and he tells us, just be ready. And then he's told another story to make a point. He said, it's like a man going away. He leaves his house, he puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, pick up their toys, keep the hallway clear, and he tells the one at the door, he says, keep watch. Keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or in the rooster crows or at dawn, If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. See, the season of Advent, it's about entering the story of expectation. It's about going all the way back to the story of the Israelites. Walking from rescue coming to Mount Sinai and being invited again, come, come into this moment where God came and rescued you, where he was present with you in this moment. We walk forward in the story. Isaiah looks back at that moment. He says, remember that day? He says, have that mindset. Be expecting, be waiting, a Messiah is coming. So the whole thing begins to reset again and these people come back and they enter this place of expectation again and they look forward and they say, we will live as people waiting for a Messiah who is to come and to save us and they enter a story of expectation. They begin to follow Jesus. They see his teaching. They see what he's talking about. They see what, what he's bringing to this world. They see his grace and his love and his mercy and his justice. They see the way that he brings life like nobody else can give. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no, no one has perceived a God like this. And then Jesus looks at these disciples in a most perplexing way and says, I want you to go back over here because you think this is how the story is going to go. No, 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 no. I need you to go back here because I want you to reset again, back it up, come back to a place of expectation. Because he says, one day, it's not today, one day, he said, I will return and I will restore, and I will fully renew. And he said, in this moment of expectation, he said, the coolest thing is gonna happen because my Holy Spirit is gonna live within you, dragging you forward, pushing you forward, leading you to that return, making it so people like us look to that day and say, someday Jesus is coming back. And people look around and say, well, I don't really want Jesus to come back. I'm kind of excited about this season with the Colts, man. I, I, can he just wait a little bit? We go, that's crazy. Jesus, you come back right now. It's why in the moments that I sat with my dad in the final days of his life, and he said, come, Lord Jesus, I could say it with him. Come, Lord Jesus. I don't need any of this. This, this, this life is wonderful. The friendships and the family, the goodness of this church and this life are wonderful, but nothing, nothing compares to the return of Jesus. Jesus and his restoration of this world. And I know that sometimes it's hard for us to imagine that. It's hard for us to even begin to think what that might look like, and that may sound like a crazy idea, but here's what happens. As we look to that day, as we think about what the world should look like, you know what that world looks like? That world looks like a place where there is peace. And I mean peace. There is no hate. There is no racism. There is no greed, there is no violence, there is peace. I look to that world and I see a place where there is mercy. I look to that world and I see a place where there is grace. I see a place and I look where all the people who are pushing back against things like grace and mercy and love and justice in the world, when they get there, boy, that's not a place that they want to be. But that's where I want to be. I want to be where he has fully restored this world to a place full of love, full of justice, full of mercy, full of grace, and full of Jesus. But we're not there yet. Because you know where we are? We're right here. And we are people of expectation. We look and say, I want a world full of Jesus. And Jesus looks to us and says, then make it that way. You be people as you walk toward the day of his return, you be people then who live it out with every step that you take on that way. And then we're not walking to a time that we know, we don't know the day, we don't know the hour, we don't know the time. We don't know if it will happen in our generation, we don't know if it will happen in our kid's generation. We don't know if it will happen 10 generations from now. And everybody who has tried to say, well, this is what's going to happen, this is, and anytime you hear this, somebody says, oh, well, the days are evil, and we know that he's coming back. They've been saying that for a thousand years. They've been saying that since... since the resurrection of Jesus. The apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, believed that Jesus was going to come back in his lifetime. He didn't. But you know what that didn't stop Paul from doing? It didn't stop Paul from living like Jesus was coming. And as Paul got older, his writings began to change a little bit. And he began to call people into a life of living like Jesus today and being as much Jesus as you can in expectation for that day to come so as the generations went on and on and on the church has always been about expectation and so baked in to our traditions into our seasons became the season that we call advent with these readings that if we read them all on their own wouldn't seem to make any sense they would seem strange they would seem out of touch. But when we know the background to it, all of a sudden we recognize what they're trying to do. They're saying, church, you, the global church, let us enter the season of expectation. Because as we do that, it it has us yearning for the return of Jesus. We understand the expectation of the people who waited for the Messiah. And now we enter at the same time the waiting." the reality of the return of Jesus. So in an attitude of holy expectation, I invite us in this season to look for the return of Jesus when he comes to fully redeem, to fully rescue, to fully restore. And we enter this season, I love this, in faithful expectation. I've talked a lot about this idea that, you know, we should live lives that cause people to say, there's something different about that person. Well, what's different about you? Because I know my Savior. I know my Savior's coming back. And so because I know my Savior is coming, I am anticipating, I'm excited for that reality. Because let me tell you about the kind of world Actually, no. Let, let me show you the kind of world that he's going to bring. Well, how are you going to show me that? Well, l- let me tell you about Jesus. And let me tell you what he did in my life and how he changed my life. Because I'm not the same person that I was before Jesus. Because of Jesus, my life is full of joy and love and grace and mercy. My life looks like the world that Jesus is going to bring. And I don't always get it right. Sometimes I mess up, man. I, I'm Look, I'm just as broken. But, but here's what I want you to know is that there's an invitation for you. Come with me. Come experience this. Because I promise you, your life will never be the same. Let's pray. God, we are so... We're so thankful to enter this season, to begin to celebrate, but would you help us in these moments to be joyful, to celebrate, to sense your peace, help us to see our decorations, help us to see our celebrations and our parties in a different light, knowing, God, that you are one day going to throw a party that none will ever compare to, and help us look forward to that day. And it is in your name that we pray today. Amen.